And welcome to this episode of the PBL Podcast, Politics and Brown Liquor. Your host here, Eve Vanderleek, with us two canine co-hosts. That's right, I got two today. I got Woody. Woody, who's a staple here on the show, as well as his mom, Tanks. Tanks, how you doing? Welcome to the show. Both dogs, by the way. Well, you know if the doorbell rings, they're going to bark a lot, but they are limited barkers when they need to be, and both of them have a huge ask. Please, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Let's get on with the show. We've got three topics for the show today. We're going to talk about the Supreme Court nomination of Amy Coney Barrett. Uh, We're going to talk about Joe Biden. He's on the campaign trail, and it's not going well. I mean, it's... Yeah, it's a cluster fun park. And then in the second segment of the show, it is MAGA Wednesday. You know how you talk with a lot of leftists and they they ask you the question, what has this president done? He hasn't done anything in his first four years. I've got a huge list of this president's accomplishments in the first four years. I mean, I guess you can say it's huge. But anyway, let's get on with the nomination process of Amy Coney Barrett. You know, this is day two. So day two, they got to ask a lot of questions. And you know, it's interesting. Um, The left have nothing. You know, how do you know the left have nothing? And I'm going to get into some video clips here. I'm just going to play the audio. I'm not going to play the video. Uh, for those of you watching on YouTube, because you can also see this show on YouTube, you can find that YouTube link on our channel, thepbopodcast.com. And if you do go over there, please make sure you subscribe. Uh, but it's amazing what the left is attempting to do. Now, how do you know they got nothing? Well, it's pretty easy, actually. You just go over to the mainstream media sites. Let's say CNN. Day takeaways from day two of the Amy Coney Barrett confirmation hearings. Uh, I'm not going to read the article. I'm just going to give you like the bullets of the article. Barrett declined to preview her views on abortion and Roe v. Wade. That's it. There's no salacious headline, right? She declined to preview her views. Uh, she says she's not hostile to Obamacare, but doesn't elaborate on upcoming cases. That's their headline. Not very salacious, is it? That's how you know they don't have nothing. Republicans push back against Democrats on Obamacare. So why is that in the article of takeaways from day two of Amy Coney Barrett confirmation hearings? Yeah, they got nothing. They got nothing. Uh, And then the next bullet is Barrett did not commit to recusing herself from a potential Trump v. Biden case. She shouldn't. It's a ridiculous question. Why should she? And another bullet, Barrett described the personal tolls of the nomination process. That's it. That's from CNN. That's all they got. They got nothing. I scanned CBS, NBC, MSNBC, and again, there's nothing salacious that's coming out of here. The Democrats literally are up the creek without a paddle with this nomination. They know she's going to get confirmed. So at this point in time, uh, it's just kabuki theater, and it is kabuki theater. Um, Some of these videos, some of what the the, senators are trying to do, uh, honestly, is just... It's disheartening. It's not unexpected. It's expected. I mean, I was surprised they didn't go bad, uh, even worse. Like this from uh, The Federalist. The headline is, why does the Washington Post hate Supreme Court nominees' children so much? They're attacking her children. The Washington Post ran the campaign to keep Brett Kavanaugh off the Supreme Court before they laundered the, mes- the message, uh, laundered and massaged Christine Blasey Ford's unsubstantiated claim against then Judge Kavanaugh. The paper has spent months trying to find out 
avenues to tear him down. For the moment, he from the moment he expected a nomination, we know, we know, from the moment he expected a nomination, the the left went after him, and the Washington Post was harshly critical. So what are they doing now? Uh, Amy, this is a tweet from John Swain of the Washington Post. Amy Coney Barrett served as a handmaid in Christian group People of Praise. No, she didn't. That's a lie. It's a fabrication. Absolute fabrication. Here's another one from Beth Reinhard. Two students and teacher at school attended by SCOTUS Ma Nom nomination, short for nomination, Amy Coney Barrett's kids test positive for coronavirus two weeks after super spreader White House event for ACB. Parents are freaked out, though no proven link. So they're trying to infer that because her kids went to her nominating ceremony that they brought the COVID back and gave it to children. This, this is what the left does. Why would anyone vote for this? Why? Uh, this one from Elena Demopoulos. The Supreme Court nominee's pretty pink dress tries and fails to mask the rank hypocrisy of her confirmation process. I mean, is not, they've tacked every part of her, every part of her. It's, I mean, she's lucky. Uh, and here's why she's lucky. Um, she's lucky she's not a male. Because look what they did to Kavanaugh. They ripped Kavanaugh. They basically painted him as a sexual predator. They can't do that with Amy, Cow Amy Coney Barrett. Oh, they, you know they want to. But listen to her um, talking about the process and what it's been like for her. How, how does it feel to be nominated for the Supreme Court of the United States? Um, well, Senator, I've tried to be on a media blackout for the sake of my mental health, but you, know, you can't keep yourself walled off from everything. And I'm aware of a lot of the caricatures that are floating around. So I think what I would like to say in response to that question is that, um, look, I've made distinct choices. I've decided to pursue a career and have a large family. I have a multiracial family. Our faith is important to us. Um, all of those things are true, but they are my choices. And in my personal interactions with people, I mean, I have a life brimming with people who've made different choices and I've never tried in my personal life to impose my choices on them. And the same is true professionally. I mean, I apply the law and, and Senator, I think um, I should say why I'm sitting in this seat in response to that question too, why I've agreed to be here because I don't think it's any secret to any of you or to the American people that this is a really difficult, some might say excruciating process. Um, and Jesse and I had a very brief amount of time to make a decision with momentous consequences for our family. We knew that our lives would be combed over for any negative detail. We knew that our faith would be caricatured. We knew our family would be attacked. And so we had to decide whether those difficulties would be worth it because what sane person would go through that if there wasn't a benefit on the other side? And the benefit I think is that I'm committed to the rule of law and the role of the Supreme Court in dispensing equal justice for all. And I'm not the only person who could do this job, but I was asked and it would be difficult for anyone. So why should I say someone else should do the difficulty if the difficulty is the only reason to say no, I should serve my country. And my family's all in on that because they share my belief in the rule of law. 
What a powerful answer. I mean, that was powerful. I mean, what they, they being the left, put judicial nominees through, it's unconscionable. And the right doesn't do that. The right doesn't put the left through these things. You don't see these kind of processes happening on the right or when a left, the, the Democrats put a nominee up. I challenge anyone, anyone listening to this podcast or watching this on YouTube in the comments, uh, email me at thepblpodcast.com to bring up where the right uh, was so vicious and vindictive and vitriolic to a, a nominee. Now, you can say Garlet Merritt, Gar, Garrett Merritt, was it Garlet Merritt, uh, the, the nominee that Obama put up that didn't make it. There was no vitriol tossed at him. He just, you know, basically procedural was shut down. But, God, this is just unbelievable. But the left have nothing. This from the Washington Post. Here's their five takeaways from day two of Amy Coney Barrett's Supreme Court hearing. Number one, Barrett leaned heavily on precedent to kind of reassure her critics. Whatever the heck that means, means they have nothing. Number two, she framed herself as more open-minded than her critics paint her. Well, really? Well, gee, her critics paint her as a handmaid's tale. I mean, come on. Of course, she didn't frame herself as more open-minded. She is. Look at what her critics are painting her as. Number three, Barrett's insists she's not hostile to the Affordable Care Act. She's not. She's basically going to read the letter of the law. Number four, Trump looms large. Oh, please. If that's one of their takeaways, they got nothing. Number five, there's the best takeaway of all. This is going well for the Republicans. <laughs> that's the top five takeaways from the Washington Post. So she's, she's a shoe-in. But you got to hear some of the video. Um, it's just unbelievable. Here's here's Dick Durbin uh, trying to catch her in a trap with the the whole George Floyd uh, video. Listen to this. Have you seen the George Floyd video? I have. What impact did it have on you, um, Senator? As you might imagine, given that I have two black children, that was very, very personal for my family. Um, Jesse was with the boys on a camping trip out in South Dakota, so I was there, and my 17-year-old daughter, Vivian, who's adopted from Haiti, um, all of this was erupting. It was very difficult for her. Um, we wept together in my room, and then it was also difficult for my daughter, Juliet, who's 10. I had to try to explain some of this to them. I mean, my children, to this point in their lives have had the benefit of growing up in a cocoon where they have not yet experienced hatred or violence. Um, and for Vivian, you know, to understand that there would be a risk to her brother or the son she might have one day of that kind of brutality has been an ongoing conversation. It's a difficult one for us, like it is for Americans all over the country. Boom. Shut down Dick Durbin, 100% shut down Dick Durbin. Uh, and then uh, Chuck Schumer, who, you know, I, I don't even know how to, I, I'm not even going to explain Chuck Schumer. Here, here's what he had a beef with that she said during uh, one of the um, questions asked. <clears throat> on the basis of sexual preference 
and would not ever discriminate on the basis of sexual preference. They have never discriminated on the basis of sexual preference and would not ever discriminate on the basis of sexual preference. So here's what Schumer's upset about. This is his comment. Judge Barrett, sexual orientation and gender identity are not preference. Because <laughs> she used the word preference, the left is going ape shit about. And then there was uh, Amy Klobuchar. I saw a little bit of Amy Klobuchar, and there was one thing, and I couldn't find the video of it. If I find it, I'll try to put it in another show. But I thought it was just unbelievable. But Amy, Amy uh, uh, Klobuchar, Senator Klobuchar said, I would, and I'm paraphrasing, I would like to be in that chair you're in, but I'm here. Now, that is so telling from Klobuchar. Klobuchar wanted to be a Supreme Court nominee. Her dreams were dashed. She lost the nomination uh, for the presidency of the United States, but she wasn't running for president. Now we learn by that little clip, by that little uh, blurb, and I'll try to find this later, that really she wanted to be nominated as Supreme, in a Supreme Court. She knows that that's off the table for her now because if Amy Coney B. Barrett gets in, there's not going to be another opening. There's not going to be another opening for a long time. And if Trump wins, Klobuchar is done. So she's bitter. She's just bitter. And it shows up in her questioning of uh, Amy Coney Barrett as well. Listen to this exchange. Federal law, is it illegal to intimidate voters at the polls? Senator Klobuchar, I can't characterize the facts in a hypothetical situation, and I can't apply the law to a hypothetical set of facts. I can only decide cases as they come to me, litigated by parties on the full record after fully engaging precedent, talking to colleagues, writing an opinion. And so I can't answer questions like okay, that. Well, I'll make, I'll make it easier. 18 U.S.C. 594 outlaws anyone who intimidates, threatens, coerces, or attempts to intimidate, threaten, or coerce any other person for the purpose of interfering with the right of such other person to vote. This is a law that has been on the books for decades. Judge Barrett, under federal law, is it illegal to intimidate voters? Now, this was uh, Barrett not taking the bait. See, the left think this is a great thing. They think that little clip right there is, ah, look at that. She doesn't really know the law. She's, she's just a Trump, a Trumpist in his cult. When all Klobuchar was trying to do is catch her in a gotcha moment. Because what she was going to do is if Amy... Uh, Coney Barrett said yes. Then the next thing you know, Klobuchar would have brought up. Uh, you know, I put out a video uh, on YouTube uh, that uh, who is it? Claire McClaskill saying that this long line in Swanee, Georgia, for vote for voting, early voting, is uh, voter suppression. So she would have brought up something like that. She would have brought up the IDs. She would have she would have brought up like there's 40 states that require an ID. Blah 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 blah. She was trying to get her in a gotcha moment, and Barrett shut her down by not answering the question. I thought it was perfect, perfect. And then this one from uh, Senator Klobuchar. How would you define super precedent? I I owe a super precedent. How would you define super precedent? I, I actually, I might have thought someday I'd be sitting in that chair. I'm not. I'm up here, so I'm asking okay, you. Okay, well, people so. use super precedent differently. Okay. The way that it's used in the scholarship and the way that I was using it in the article that you're reading from was to define cases that are so well settled that no political actors and no people seriously push for their overruling. And I'm answering a lot of questions about Roe, which I think indicates that Roe doesn't fall in that category 
and scholars across the spectrum say that doesn't mean that Roe should be overruled. But descriptively, it does mean that it's a case, not a case that everyone has accepted and doesn't call for its overruling. I don't think. And that was that clip. Did you hear it? Klobuchar saying, I might have thought I might have thought someday I'd be sitting in that chair. I'm not. I'm up here. So I'm asking you. And <clears throat> she was asking a, a what something about super precedent. And Amy, Amy Klobuchar or Amy uh, uh, Coney Barrett is smart. She is smart. She, I mean, this woman graduated top of her class. There's just no denying her intellect. And listen to this again with uh, Klobuchar, who says, I might have thought someday I'd be sitting in that chair. I'm not. I'm up here. Super precedent. How would you define super precedent? I, I, I actually, I might thought someday I'd be sitting in that chair. I'm not. I'm up here. So I'm asking okay, you. Well, Bitter much? There, Klobuchar, bitter. Uh, and then <clears throat> she was asked by, uh, I think, Senator, I forget which senator it was on the Republican side, to show me the notes that you've been taking. And she held up the notes that she'd been taking, and she had nothing written on there. She had taken zero notes through the whole process. Yeah. Can you say... Justice Supreme Court Justice or Supreme Court Justice Amy Coney Barrett, because she will be nominated. She's going to get it. I've got more videos. I got more videos of Klobuchar, but I'm, you know what? We're done with that. I'm not going to play any more of this. It's Kabuki Theater. They, they, they clearly have nothing. She's running circles around them. She literally is running circles around them. And, you know, she's doing the right thing. She's grinning and bearing it. And one thing she's doing, though, it's, which is so funny to me, is if you watch any of the video of her, the looks she's giving them. I mean, there's one video clip of F Diane Feinstein was asking about gun control. And then all of a sudden brought without even finishing the conversation about gun control brought up abortion and <laughs> Amy, Amy Cody Barrett just gives her this look like what, what just happened? I mean, they are clearly out of their league the left are so uh again day two and there's a lot more clips you know there's tons of stuff but the media they have nothing salacious all we have is democrat senators trying to ask these gotcha questions that are really just going nowhere all right for for this segment the rest of the segment let's talk about joe biden all right <sighs> he's on the campaign trail ladies and gentlemen and he is floundering on the campaign trail. Uh, he is slurring his way. Here's from the Federalist. Joe Biden slurs his way through opening remarks because a bike cause it's Ellen General Motors. That's their headline. And Joe Biden, his cognitive decline is, uh, I mean, it's just obvious. This is, this is a 27-minute clip on the Federalist, and I'll put this in the show notes. I'm not going to play the whole 27 minutes. I don't have to. At the, at the very beginning is when he slurs his way, and he, me he, he messes up his words by saying what sounds like, well, here, here's, well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to play it, and then I'll read it how they've transcribed it on the Federalist. This feels like coming home. Well, I'll tell you what, I, uh, my dad was an automobile man. I got through uh, 
school and we got through uh, being able to eat after we lost a job up in Scranton, Pennsylvania. He had moved down to Delaware because uh, because it's selling General Motors products. And so uh, I've known in my state used to have the largest percentage of auto workers of any state in the nation. Uh, I don't know if you heard that. <clears throat> But here's how they transcribe it. Well, I'll tell you, uh, I, uh, my dad was a model bill man. I got through uh, school and we got through uh, being able to, uh, after we lost a job up in Scranton, Pennsylvania, I moved down to Delaware because uh, by cause it's Ellen General Motors products. So uh, I've known my, in my state, used to have the largest percentage of auto workers in any state in the union or the nation. <coughs> And it goes on. It's like that throughout the whole speech. Uh, Biden uh, is just out of it. I mean, for one, it's not his state. He, he was, that is where he's from, he was born, but he moved out when he was 10. So he's been in Delaware ever since. And that's, that's just part of it. You know, there's also where he has plagiarized Build Back Better. I mentioned this on a previous show. Boris Johnson of the UK uh, coined Build Back Better on a speech he gave. I think it was a couple of years ago, and here's Biden. Uh, listen to this audio, you can hear it for yourself. We owe it to future generations to build back better. We have a great opportunity to build back and build back better, to do things differently, to build back better, and to build back bolder. And folks, it's not sufficient to build back, we have to build back better. That's what my plan is. To so you would think that's a couple of years ago from Boris Johnson. It wasn't. Actually, June of 2020. And then July of 2020, Joe Biden coined that phrase. Or I should say, stole that phrase. And then you may have already seen the video where he forgot where he, he was. He thought he was uh, in New Hampshire when he was in Vermont. So here he is screwing up where he forgot what state he was in. And a five. 3,900 of them right here. Five. 3,900 of them right here in the state of North South Carolina. And a five. North South Carolina. He was in New Hampshire. North South Carolina. Yeah. And then, there, you know, there was one he did last year where he thought he was in uh, uh, Vermont. He wasn't in Vermont. Or he, so. Biden's out to lunch, people. He is out to lunch. Here's an article from uh, Just the News, John Solomon's group. Here's the headline, not up to the job. Former White House doctors say Biden lacks mental capacity to be president. This is something we all know. Just a couple of blurbs from the article, or a little bit from the beginning of the article. When the late Senator John McCain ran for president in 2008, questions about his health, physical, and mental swirl. Americans were well aware that should McCain die in office, his vice president, former Alaska governor Sarah Palin, would become president. Had he been elected, he would have been 72 years old when he moved into the White House. So Americans may have that same concern with Democrat nominee Joe Biden, who would be 78 if he wins the election. So cute former White House physician, Dr. Ronnie Jackson, who held the prestigious post from 2013 to 2018, serving both Trump and President Obama, Jackson on Tuesday said Biden does not have the mental capacity to be able to handle the presidency and the job of commander in chief. Now that's anecdotal. He doesn't know. He hasn't examined him. <clears throat> and if he had, he couldn't have told you because of HIPAA laws. 
But think about that. He's 78 years old. He's going to be elected at, when he gets in the White House. He'll be 78 years old. And this means Kamala Harris, if anything should happen, God forbid, will be the president. So just like people were kind of worried about Palin, which I like Palin. I, I don't, she wasn't great, but I didn't dislike her. You know, would have been capable. But Harris, Harris is so far to the left. Don't like her at all. Don't like her politics. Don't, don't like uh, her policies at all. Palin's were palatable to me. Just like there are a lot that were not, that for Palin, they were not compatible or not palatable. Just like there's a lot for Harris, her policies are not palatable. So think about that. But Biden continues on his gas. He's on the campaign trail now. He has to be, he doesn't have a choice. It's 21 days to the election. So what is he gonna do? So here he is, can't remember Mitt Romney's name, but listen, not only can he not remember Mitt Romney's name, listen to how he describes Mitt Romney. So the, the audio is bad. He's by plane, but he says, "Remember, I, I got in trouble with the the the. Remember, I got in trouble when we were running against Senator, who was a Mormon. <laughs> he was a governor. Okay, listen to it again. You'll hear it now that I just told you that. And I took him on, and nobody's faith should be questioned. That's what he said. Remember, I got in trouble when we were running against Senator, who was a Mormon. He was a governor. Okay." <laughs> Yeah, sorry about that. Oh, him calling. <laughs> this was hilarious. So you can't even remember Romney's name. Romney is that Mormon. <laughs> oh my gosh! And then, and then, you know, we're there's a big hubbub about Joe and his taxes. We're gonna get into it in a minute, but uh, there's also this is the one that was making the rounds the other day, where Joe Biden forgets what office he's running for. You know, we have to come together. That's why I'm running. I'm running as a proud Democrat for the Senate. You know, we have to come together. That's why I'm running. I'm running as a proud Democrat for the Senate. Seriously, people, are, are we gonna, how long do we let this go on? How long? And so, you know, he's saying that he's not gonna raise taxes on anybody making $400,000 or less, but Rhode Island Governor Gina Raimondo well, she's kind of let the cat Actually. out of the bag, and she let the cat out of the bag on MSNBC. Listen to this. Where does that money come from? Oh, that, listen, that money, you, first of all, the vice president has laid out a plan to increase taxes, which I agree with. This is an opportunity to invest. You know, the, the, the economic theory which says just cut taxes and economic prosperity will follow is a failed economic theory. Yes, we need competitive taxes. Yes, we need um, a regulatory environment which breaks down barriers and makes it easier to do business. But frankly, we need investment. We need to invest in our infrastructure, in broadband, in roads, in bridges, in schools, in job training. The question isn't where do we get the money? We're the wealthiest nation in the world. The question is how to invest smartly. Um, and as you said, to get it done, to execute. Trump has failed to execute on anything he's ever tried. 
And obviously, um, the results the results bear that out. So we're the wealthiest nation in the world. It's not a problem where to get the money from. Well, the money comes from us, ladies and gentlemen. So yeah, she's flat out admitting Biden's going to have to raise taxes. They will raise taxes. They will raise taxes. Anybody who doesn't believe that is not paying attention. Two more stories, then we'll get into the second segment. We'll take a break, get into the second segment. She just mentioned that Trump hasn't accomplished anything. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that second segment, we're going to go MAGO Wednesday, and uh, there's a lot that Trump's accomplished, and you're going to see that list. And this list is going to help you when you're talking to your Democrats fans or your Democrat friends, leftist friends. But real quick, two more things. Uh, this from Big League Politics. Joe Biden insults 56% of voters who claim they're economically better off than Obama. This is this is just amazing. Uh, Gallup reports last week that 56% of Americans said that they were better off today than they were four years ago. So why should people who feel that they're better off today under the Trump administration vote for you? Inskeep asked Biden. This was an interview that he did with WKRC Cincinnati reporter Kyle Inskeep. So Inskeep asked him, why should people vote for you if they say they're better off? Here's Biden's answer. Well, if they think that, they probably shouldn't, Biden answered. They think 54% of the American people are better off economically today than they were under our administration. Well, their memory is not very good, quite frankly. So he just <laughs> insulted 56% of the, he just said 56% of the population shouldn't vote for him. He's right. They shouldn't. Actually, more shouldn't. <laughs> that's <the coughs> excuse me sorry about that the, there are so many moments where this candidate has lost the election i've lost count and i've in almost every election i've watched there's been one moment where i said oh they just lost the election george hw bush looked at his watch i just thought to myself whoop he just lost the election um let's see bob dole falling off the stage i said oh and i respect the man don't get me wrong he just lost the election Let's see, John Kerry, uh, just about everything he did, but that hazmat suit, whoa, he just lost the election. John McCain uh, not fighting back to Barack Obama. And basically, I remember an interview where he was saying, oh, this is a good man. And I thought to myself, oh, he just lost the election because somebody was pushing back on Obama and McCain pushed back saying, no, he's a good man. This is a good man. Yep, he lost the election. Romney lost the election on debate number two with Barack Obama because debate number one, Romney just killed it. I thought, oh, he just won it. Then he was a complete pushover debate number two. And then Hillary Clinton, when she fell into that van, uh, I said, that's the moment she just lost the election. I have lost count on how many moments Joe Biden has lost the election. This is another one of those. The other one recently when he said he won't answer whether or not he's going to pack the courts. He says people do not deserve to know his answer. Well, he's backpedaled a little bit on that. This is from ABC News of all sources. Joe Biden says he's not a fan of court packing as SCOTUS hearings continue. As the Senate confirmation hearings for Supreme Court nominee Amy Coney Barrett continue, Vice President Joe Biden says he is not a fan of court packing following weeks of refusing to answer questions about whether he would try to add more justices to the high court if he wins. He says, I've already spoken on, I'm not a fan of court packing, Biden told Cincinnati affiliate WKRC Monday evening. 
the comments, while they don't answer whether Biden would try to add justice to the Supreme Court, mark the closest Biden has gotten since the primary to, to share his views on the issue. He's getting too much pressure. He has to say something. And this is a, a weak, weak backpedal, but he's, he's on the fence and he's getting a lot of pressure because this is bad for him. That answer he gave was bad, bad for him. And now he's saying 56% of voters who claim they're better off under Trump than Obama, he's saying they shouldn't vote for him then. If a poll says people, 56% of the people say they were better off four years ago, shouldn't vote for him. He said that. Trump didn't say that. He, Biden, Joe Biden said that. We are definitely in silly season for the election. How anyone can vote for Joe Biden at this point in time. I'll say this, and I'll put this on the table. <clears throat> if you vote for Joe Biden, you are contributing to elder abuse. That man will die in office if elected. If he doesn't die in office, he will not last two years. It is absolutely reprehensible that his family, that his party, that his backers are doing this to this man. Reprehensible. And the reason that they're doing it because it's power at all costs. They don't care about Joe Biden. They don't care about you. They don't care, they being the left, they don't care about these 200,000 plus Americans that died of COVID. They don't care. All they care about is getting Donald Trump out of office. Hey, in the next segment, I'm gonna strictly keep it MAGA Wednesday, and I've got a list of accomplishments that this president has achieved in his first term in office that the left doesn't want you to know about because they don't want people to see what this president has accomplished in his first four years. And this list will help you when you're talking to your leftist friends, because I know, I don't know about you, and I'm going to get into this in the second segment, but you know, I talked to so many people, they say, this president hasn't done anything. You've probably seen that on your social media. So check us out at the pbalpodcast.com. This episode and all future episodes, if uh, a, a capable. We'll be on YouTube. So you can watch this on YouTube. So click on our uh, link, our YouTube link and subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. And we do ask you, if you're listening to this on the Apple iTunes podcast app to please follow, subscribe and rate. Give us a five star rating. It helps us move up in the algorithm because you know what I'm going to say if you're a regular listener. And by the way, we, uh, we have listeners in 47 states now in 35 countries. So this podcast is growing with your help. Life is not a matrix. Life is an algorithm. And we need you to keep moving us up in the charts to get us to that top ranking. Thank you so much for listening to the segment of the PBO podcast. See you on the next one.